It's funny sometimes how you think that uh, somehow, and it's probably possible because of all this online stuff, that the person who uh, is uh, talking about what you're going to preach on earlier in the service has read your notes. Um, because this morning, I do intend to break a few categories, uh, but a lot of it will involve looking up at the sky. Um, so I'm not quite sure where that bit came from, but it was good to know that Cody's on the same page. So it's been a while since I've done this. Um, welcome online. I've done that a bit more than I've actually done it live, I think. So welcome to all of you here. Uh, this, this is one of those times when I want you to make a date with the edge of your seat. Not because this is going to be like an Indiana Jones movie, but because that way, if you fall asleep, then you'll hit the floor and wake up again. But we need to understand, we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. So don't expect it all this morning. This morning, I'm going to ease you into it, and we're going to do a bit of background stuff, and then we're going to actually start talking about how the uh, Holy Spirit is talked about in the Old Testament. So there won't be anything, any sudden moves this morning. Actually, I'm lying, there will be. Um, but the first thing we need to understand is that when we come to talking about the Holy Spirit and, and what the Bible actually tells us about the Holy Spirit, it's important to realise that we all approach the subject with our own experiences, categories, mindsets and worldviews, which can often obscure what the biblical authors are actually trying to tell us. And one example, for instance, is the church traditions we grew up in. Now, who, who grew up in a C3 tradition here? Very few people. Um, and so we, we've come to this tradition through various other ones. And the, there are various examples. And I know that we know that other people believe different things, but the fact they've actually got specific technical terms for them blows me away. You may have come from a cessationalist church tradition. Now, that's not a sensationalist church tradition. Cessationalist is a theology where the miraculous manifestations of the Holy Spirit ceased with the death of the apostles. And after that period, the Holy Spirit is seen as primarily working through the scriptures, God's people speaking truth into each other's lives based on the scripture, or the experiential presence of Jesus in worship and prayer and other parts of the church service. Others of you may have come from a continuationalism tradition. It's even hard to say. Um, which is the theological belief that the spiritual gifts are continued to the present age, specifically those sometimes called sign gifts such as tongues and prophecy. But this church and the C3 tradition we're a part of is known as the third wave. Doesn't that sound cool? Uh, which is actually considered a radical form of continuationism. So there you go, you radicals. Did you know that? And this is that the position held here is that the spiritual gifts are meant for Christians in every age since the day of Pentecost. Hence the term Pentecostal church. So another example is that our worldview today is vastly different from the worldview of the authors of the Old Testament. And this, is all, this also gets in the way of our understanding of what the primary message is from the biblical author's perspective. Now, for instance, our understanding of the universe around us has increased dramatically over the last few millennia. This has increased our knowledge, but it's also got the potential to blind us to the sense of awe and wonder 
that the biblical authors are trying to convey to the readers of Scripture. As an example, let's take the first time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Bible. How far do we have to go into the Bible to find the Holy Spirit? Come on, any, any, any guesses? Anybody read the Bible? Where, where does the Holy Spirit come in? Page one. What line? Two. Line two. So if we actually read that, Genesis chapter one, verse one says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. So I want you to imagine that if you're, you're the writer of these words, and, uh, and despite what Cody said, the, the, as the writer of these words, you're looking at the sky. You're not worried about Jesus having left because he hasn't actually come yet. And so you're looking at the sky and you'd see something a bit like this. A beautiful arc over the heavens and you can see the landscape in front of you. And as I read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Because of our, our contemporary perspective, when we read these words, our minds, or at least most of our minds, picture the heavens and the earth from a 21st century mindset, something like this. I stole this from Google Earth. So as you can see, we have a fairly complex view of the universe. And so when we, when we think that God created the heavens and the earth, that, that's what we think. we think. We think universe, we think Big Bang, we think galaxies and, and, and lesser and greater Magellanic clouds and, and uh, Alpha Centauri and lost in space and, and things like that. Um, because that, that's, that's what's in our culture. But the, the problem with that is that the Hebrew writers of the Old Testament envisage something rather more like this. They actually, when they described the heavens and the earth, when they meant the earth, they, they just meant this flat bit that I'm standing on. And when they looked at the heavens, they actually thought it was a dome, like an upside down bowl that somebody had painted the stars on. I'm not, I wouldn't go that far to say that's what they believe, but that's, that's the picture that you get. And so when they say the word earth, they mean the ground at their feet. And when they imagined the heavens, there was this dome that contained the sky. And in fact, many versions of the Bible actually state that. The New Century Version says in Genesis, In the beginning, God created the sky and the earth. And the earth was empty and had no form. So is our worldview wrong? No. But if we've been able to, if we can actually lay aside our modern mindset, it helps us look at the wonder and awe of creation through the eyes of the author of Genesis, rather than from our perspective, from a, a comfortable 21st century mindset. Because we're, we're happy with the universe, but I guess if you'd gone to the author of Genesis and tried to explain um, the Milky Way, um, you'd have been consigned to whatever um, sort of uh, mental institutions they had at those times. Um, can I hand that to you? and uh, see if you can get this to work better than I can. <laughs> um, and so it's helpful for us to, to actually put a sound, put a sound, put aside our mindset 
and actually try to think like the writers of the, of the book of Genesis. So I want you to close your eyes for a sec. Just imagine you're wearing animal skins. You're not riding with a biro. You're riding with a charcoal stick on a piece of papyrus. And your understanding of the world is quite different from our perspective. Okay, open your eyes. Now this is where we're going to start to learn some Hebrew here. And remember what I told you last week? Who can remember the Hebrew word that I I told you last week? Tofu. (laughs) Okay, remember it's the Genesis version of Hakuna Matata. It's tohu vavohu. It's perhaps not spelt like that, but it's actually pronounced tohu vavohu. Say that after, say that, come on. Vavohu. Right, and it means formless and void or formless and empty or a chaotic wasteland. And that vocabulary is used in other places in the Old Testament to describe the empty, uninhabitable wilderness. So we see in Genesis 1 that the earth was tohu vavohu and God's spirit hovered over the surface of the water. And so we see a description basically of a watery desert, which is a paradox in literal terms, but it's used to actually paint a really powerful visual image for the reader. And this is an example of the different layers that scripture presents us with because sometimes it's literal and sometimes The words that we see are purely descriptive in nature and we have to learn how to navigate these differences. And so the image here is that the earth was a watery desert, a form of imagery where a literal paradox actually combines the two environments most hostile to the people of the Middle East at that time. And they were the desert and the ocean. And if you you look at through the Old Testament, the harshness of the desert and the monsters of the deep are common themes relating to danger and suffering all throughout Old Testament scripture. Who's bored yet? I know it seems a lot of background to deal with, and I've only mentioned the Holy Spirit a couple of times, and it seems a pretty straightforward topic, so why why are we going through all of this stuff? Well, It'll become apparent in a moment. Who's ready for a second Hebrew word? Now this this one, you have to be COVID safe with this. Because the word here is ruach, which means spirit. And to say ruach properly, you have to spit a little bit into your mouth. So it's probably best in, in, in our current stage to actually wear a mask when you say ruach. So let's reread Genesis chapter 1 with our Hebrew words inserted like this. The earth was tohu vavuhu, darkness covered the ocean and God's ruach was moving over the water. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the fascinating thing about the Hebrew word ruach is that the same word is used for spirit, breath, and wind. Now actually, this is is really powerful because it gives us an insight into the picture of the Holy Spirit that the Hebrew author is trying to get across to his readers. And this can be simply demonstrated with our own bodies. Can I ask everybody to stand up? You can do this online as well. Wherever you are, stand to your feet. And uh, we're going to do an exercise. I want you to put your hand in front of your mouth like that. Okay, now I want you to breathe in. What did you feel on your hand? You can breathe out now. 
Nothing. Okay. Breathe in again. Keep your hand there. Now breathe out. What did you feel? You felt your ruach. And it's exactly the same word and the same meaning as in verse 2 of Genesis 1. What did you see when you breathed out? Apart from your hand. <laughs> you were just waiting for that one, weren't you? You, you, you? Your ruach is something you can sense. It is a force, but you cannot see it. And that is, that is the image of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a force that we cannot see. Now, just one more demonstration. I want you to greet your neighbour by just saying the word hello. But I want you to do it in two different ways. The first way, I want you to take a breath and hold it and say hello without exhaling. Go on. No, no, you exhaled. Okay, now do it again. Take another deep breath and exhale and say hello. So, so, you, can, so you can all sit down again. Because th this is the essence of what the biblical author is trying to convey, that the wind, your breath, everything that lives and breathes and moves on this earth is powered by the divine breath of God. Not just in that creation event that we read in Genesis, but in a continuous creative force in our lives. Just as we cannot speak without breathing, the breath of God or the Holy Spirit carries the creative word of God through our world. Everything from the minute to the gargantuan is a result of God's personal presence through his ruach in our everyday lives. And the reason that the Israelites used the word ruach to describe God's spirit, our spirit, our breath and the wind was not because they couldn't be bothered making up words for these things. Because I think that it's another thing we have in our modern mindset is that we mistake sophistication for ignorance. They might have been ignorant of our worldview but it doesn't mean they didn't have a sophisticated way of describing their worldview. And so their understanding of God's presence in their lives was so intimate and entangled with everything that they did that they attributed all of these things to the power and the presence of God's Spirit as a constant in their world. When they saw the wind blowing, they attributed it to the breath of God. And in fact, I'm repeating myself. And in fact, you can read instances in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses parted the waters of the Red Sea. How did the waters pass? Uh, part, rather? It's because God brought an east wind ruach and he breathed his ruach to actually part the waters. And so the Israelites sort of took every, every part of what was animated in this world and attributed it all to the Holy Spirit. Now, next Sunday... We're going to explore how the Spirit of God was perceived by the people of the Old Testament and look at how the Spirit of God interacted with God's people and through what particular individuals. Because there is our view of the, the Holy Spirit as, as New Testament Christians is actually based on how the disciples and Jesus actually uh, brought that expression of the Holy Spirit through uh, how he operated through the people uh, of the Old Testament. But this morning, I want to leave you with perhaps a, a more intuitive grasp of how the Holy Spirit makes his presence felt in our lives and how we should respond to that presence. I mean, if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, possibly because you've never been one or possibly because you once believed but you've neglected your faith 
I want to encourage you this morning to think differently about your concept of God or your relationship with God this morning. Because we believe, quite rightly, that becoming a Christian and starting a journey of a relationship with Jesus has the ability to transform our lives totally. But many of us, I think, are afraid to take that step or find that our expectations are unmet once we've taken that step because of our misconception of the miraculous. We expect something from nothing. In fact, that's often people's definition of a miracle. It's when something happens seemingly out of nothing. We expect God to remove our addictions, heal our sicknesses, make us immune to sin and turn us into perfect Christians the instant we accept him as Lord and Saviour. Hello? We know that didn't happen because I'm here talking to you. And we think this way because our worldview tells us that this is how God has operated from the very beginning. Because, you know, we've read the Bible. Or at least we've listened to a Christian who has read the Bible. But I think that part of the intimacy that the writer of Genesis feels with the Spirit of God comes from their concept of creation, which is quite different from the modern Western mindset, which sees the creation as God making something out of nothing. Yet if we follow the logic of Genesis chapter 1, we see that that is not what these verses imply from a Hebrew mindset. Let's, let's read it again. It says, The earth was tohu vavohu. Darkness covered the ocean and God's ruach was moving over the water. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. How did God create the heavens and the earth? What action did he take? It's not a trick question. Yep, he spoke. Now we did a little demonstration earlier. How does God speak? How do you speak? You've got to exhale. You've got to use your breath. Who's God's breath? The Holy Spirit. And so... From a, a Genesis viewpoint, if you read that verse, God spoke, but, and He spoke, I mean, we've all heard that song, it's Bless, I think, from the Saints album. God spoke creation into existence. But to speak creation into existence, He had to use His breath, the Holy Spirit. And if we read Genesis, what was the Holy Spirit doing before God spoke? He was hovering over the deep. Which means that the earth, although it was tohu vavohu, was in existence before God spoke creation into existence. And so from a Hebrew mindset, God did not create the universe out of nothing. And we tend to think that because we try, we try and equate you know, Genesis with the Big Bang and you know, what was there before, if there was nothing, how could God create something out of nothing? The Hebrew authors are not actually trying to tell us that. They actually speak of the creation of order out of chaos rather than something out of nothing. I know, right? Mind blown. Who'd have thought? Now, I'm not trying to say that we should adopt the same mindset, but we need to understand the mindset of the person who is speaking to us through the Scripture. That no matter what our belief about that part of creation is, that is, we've got to make sure that we know what the person who is actually writing that 
meant from their particular mindset. And so I think this actually gives us a much more intuitive handle on how we view the creative power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because most of us have that, that, that doubt, that, that scepticism inside of us that really struggles with the idea of creating something out of nothing. And we know God can do it because God's the creator of the universe. But I think that if we, can understand, if we can get a far more intimate grasp of what God wants to do with us, through us and for us, if we understand that His main purpose is actually to change our chaos into order. So if you're listening to this right now, you're watching online and you're thinking, yep, I actually need God's help to turn my chaos, the chaos in my life, into order. I'm prepared to let God have who I am and what I have right now and work with that today. And if that's you, I encourage you right now. If you're online, press that raise hand button in the chat. If you're physically here, can I just ask everybody to close their eyes for a second? If you're here and you're prepared to let God take your chaos this morning and turn it into order, that you're prepared to give your life over to Him and make Him your Lord and Saviour, can I ask you just to raise your hand quickly so that I can see it? And we can move you into a place where you can actually start that relationship with God. If you've done that this morning, if you've done that online or you've done it here, one of our team will get together with you and they'll pray a prayer with you to invite Jesus into your life. And they're going to give you some next steps to help you actually move on. So I look forward next week. You can open your eyes now. We're actually going to get into the nitty gritty of how the presence of the Holy Spirit changed the lives of people in the Old Testament. How he actually acted and who he actually acted through. Because I know it may come as a shock to us as New Testament Christians, but not everybody got a touch of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And we'll find out why next week.